I finished explaining the plan to my brother, detailing all the specifics of my mental blueprints, how we would avoid the creaky floorboards, get the car keys, but he wasn't getting it. I peered into his dark brown eyes and he stared back at me blankly. I snapped my fingers in front of his face and said, Entiendes? Domingo shook his head no. His 12-year-old brain could not make sense of why I wanted to sneak out of the house to visit a girl in the middle of the night. And here's your lightning recap. A teenage boy uh, loses a few things. I mean, it's right there in the title. You have a little time. We have a little podcast. It's short story, short podcast. I am Chris, who has messed up our introduction. I am Christy, who went along with it, because that's what I do. I'm a follower. (laughs) And that's why we love having you on board. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody loves a follower. That's right. That's why I only have seven of them on Instagram. But they're the right seven. Yeah. Hey, hey, Christy. Yes. Once upon a time, I read a short story. What was that short story? That short story was What is Lost is Not Lost by Jared Lamis. Probably pronounced that way. I don't know. I feel sorry because I, uh, he probably gets that a lot. <laughs> Correct. And it's Gerard. Um, So this is the final of our four Joyland stories. And this one is really interesting to me for a number of reasons. Uh, One, it is obviously a story of a Hispanic family. But two, most importantly, it is about a young man losing his virginity. And it's the first time we've really seen this story that we've looked at told from the point of view of the dude i'm not sure why that is i'm curious as to why that is if it's just that we haven't particularly encountered it yet or if it's that uh in in writing dudes don't really tend to go there as far as from the the male point of view i'm not sure honestly i could i couldn't say why why that is that this is the first time but it definitely Definitely was interesting, especially from the the female side to see that from the male perspective, especially, you know, something we don't get very often. And I think part of it has to do with societal expectations. There is an expectation of virginity among women, not so among men. And thus, I think that the it's less there's less you can attach to it. So I could see a lot of writers wanting to shy away from it. But at the same time, I think when you approach it like uh, Lamus did here, Lemus, Lomas, uh, Lamas uh, did here, uh, I think what you get is this sense of roundness to the experience when you take it in, in line with something like uh, Lust or uh, uh, Daughters of the Air. You sort of see more of a coherent picture when you sort of mesh them all together into one giant mass of literature yeah it definitely it it gives like you said it's it's from all angles and so it's a very comprehensive viewing of this this pretty universal you know unless you're a nun human experience and 
so it, it is good to be able to to kind of hold it hold it aloft like you know like a, a, a crystal ball and peer at it from all sides and see see what the reflections show you from every angle with every light and that's a, we're getting a taste of this that's it's a little bit rarer here and i think another reason is that um for for men there's probably a lot more you said talked about societal expectations of virginity but there's also for women, for men, there's a societal expectation of prowess. It's something that you're doing for the first time. Nobody is good at anything the first time they do it. Okay. <laughs> like, it's just, you know, I screwed up my first cross stitch and I'm sure my very first episode of a podcast sounded terrible. And I hope that there are no copies of some short stories I wrote lying around, <laughs> you know, much less the first novel. So yeah, nobody's good at anything the first time. And that really conflicts that, that need to be honest in literature really conflicts with the societal expectation that, you know, uh, shames men if they're not perfect at sex immediately. Oh, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the things here is the language is much more direct than, uh, in particular daughters of the air or, uh, lust or, uh, any of those stories that we've read, honestly, that sort of explore that, uh, the turning point in youth. Uh, but it's, I'd say this is rougher, but it's also more, more on the nose at some points, I think. Uh, my favorite section of this entire thing is, uh, uh, once I made it to her house, I snuck in the back window where Isabel told me her bedroom was. She said she'd leave the curtains open so I could look in to make sure it was the right one. But when I got there, I didn't have to look because Isabel's face was pressed against a window waiting for me. She smiled when she saw me heading towards her. So I started doing tumbles and coming up with my hands in the shape of a gun while humming the James Bond song theme song to make her laugh. She covered her mouth and nose with her hands and she put her index finger up to her lips, motioning me to be quiet. It's not exactly the most flowery of prose, but at the same time, it is telling exactly what it needs to say. There is that sense of expectation. There is a, I almost want to say American Pie-esque uh, sensation to it, that it is this sort of charming humor that is mixed with this expectation uh, that makes it when things go okay because that's the great thing about this is it is a story of an okay-ish experience yeah yeah which i think is is probably the norm you know and and so therefore that story should be told of the okay-ish experience that you know it was it was pretty good but there was some stuff that didn't quite go as planned and some some things that made it a little bit of a bumpy ride and, you know, all together, it maybe wasn't everything they expected. It wasn't, you know, fireworks and explosions, but yeah. And I think that's all part of it. That's part of the, the, the language very much matches the approach that this story has to the losing of the virginity in that they're both very down to earth. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that that, that sort of groundedness of it, is really one of the things that I liked a lot about this story because uh, it's from an author I had literally never heard of. Uh, I actually may, they may not exist. It may be a myth. Uh, <laughs> but I think one of the things I love about this and then going back and, and looking at a couple other things was the, 
not only the language has that sort of, I don't want to say rustic. I'm looking for a word that's like rustic, but it means less rustic than rustic. Um, plain spoken? Plain spoken is good. Uh, yeah. uh, normal. <laughs> um, but that makes the wonderful turns of phrase that come up in here so one so like precise like uh i got in the car and started driving with the windows down eyes as wide as an owl's and that's like oh neat uh you know when you get those little those little turns it like it has more effect and of course one thing i love is domingo <laughs> yes domingo domingo he was just trying to protect his brother it's so sweet yeah and domingo as as character goes, there's not a lot here given about Domingo, but everything you need to know about Domingo is given to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We get a few of his reactions. We get his reluctance to join his brother on this ad adventure that's really just going to be, you know, supposed to be him sitting in a car for, I don't know what, three, four minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, we, we I, I think we get exactly a, you're right, the exact amount of Domingo that we need. Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> the rediscovery of Domingo is so exactly what would happen in that situation. Uh, I can think of times when very similar things uh, happened with me and my friends when I was a youth, uh, I'm sorry, a youth, uh, that would definitely, that's how that would happen. <laughs> I got lost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's very very uh sweet and young and innocent and naive in the best non-insulting way in the in the sweet way and and yeah that the what, what ends up happening this isn't the kind of story where they you know they find him dead and you know like he learns a lesson about premarital sex and he's god is punishing him and I mean, there is a sense he, he thinks for a second that God is punishing him by making his brother be lost, but it feels like, you know, since he does find him, it's a light punishment if if that's even what's happening at all. But, but yeah, it's not anything super dramatic because, and, and that is definitely in line with the story that, yeah, yes, it's a super dramatic moment for this one person, two people actually at, the, at this time. Um, but again, it's still, it's, it's, it's not the, the, the best images that their mind had conjured up and nor is what ends up happening to Domingo the worst images that their minds could have conjured up. Exactly. It is this idea of this is a middle of the road experience that mm -hmm. I love. But the one time I think uh, we really get a, uh, a slock of wonderful uh, stylistically pushed prose is the very last paragraph. Uh, we started the walk back to the car and the whole time all I could think was about the parable where the shepherd leaves the rest of the flock because one sheep strays. I think it's meant to be about God going after one of his believers who's lost their faith. But the only shepherd I ever saw was my brother. No flock, no robe, just a kid in some baseball shorts and basketball shorts who left the house in the middle of the night and tried using his shepherd's crook to keep me safe. Maybe God isn't the shepherd, but the shepherd's crook, unless it's on its own, but in the hands of the shepherd, it saves sheep from falling off cliffs and leaves the shepherd to carry it and the sheep on his shoulders. That's just so dang beautiful. And yeah, yeah, it doesn't go for the floweriness, but it does go for the uh, 
the density of imagery and runs with it. Also, I didn't notice this. Uh, uh, MFA candidate at the University of Pittsburgh. Yes, I did notice that because uh, it's my alma mater. So <laughs> not for my yeah. MFA, but for my uh, for my bachelor's. So. And I, and for I one, love Pittsburgh. Yes, Pittsburgh is wonderful. And I taught there too. I always feel like I need to be honest at a branch campus at Johnstown. <laughs> I always feel like I know I can't, even though it's still a University of Pittsburgh diploma, I still feel like I got to be like, yeah, but it's a Johnstown. I'm that I shouldn't be that way. <laughs> yes. Also remember you are a legit academic, whereas I am merely an enthusiast. <laughs> Dude, I taught technical writing. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, 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 it is. <laughs> Says the guy trying to get a technical writing job. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think this story has a lot of charm to it. And it's charming in an unexpected way. It's charming because it's real. Yes, therein lies the charm in the reality of it. Sometimes reality is not charming, but it can be. And in moments like this, like he's going to, I like to think about how he's going to look at this later on down the down the line you know how how he'll look back and be like oh man you know like telling the telling the lost virginity story you know <laughs> or i like to also think about how domingo's gonna look back on this when he eventually realizes when it snaps and it clicks <laughs> yeah exactly exactly i cannot argue with that i do want to take a moment here though to talk about what these four stories say about joyland in general and i think one of the things is we really see the breadth of their fiction offerings here you see very flowery you see very humorous you see very i don't want to say pretentious but artsy um in last week i think was a very artistic approach to a short story and here you have mm -hmm. something that is very not necessarily traditional but it is very human it's that has that sort of realism to it that i really appreciate and it's hard for a single magazine to do all of that and Joyland seems to actually do that very well. I think over the past decade, I think it's about 10 years old, perhaps more, perhaps less. He says yeah. on the page. <laughs> their, their, their work, uh, yes, last week's story, I, I grant, was definitely the least successful, I would say, of the Joyland stories that we read. But, you know, you have to, that, that, that just shows the breadth of it, that we go from, you know, there's this very, direct language and down-to-earth experience of, of this week to the you know last week that that very um you know you could you could argue six different things about what actually was happening if anything in that story so i, I think it, it it's great to have that kind of variety all kind of within the same the same genre or whatever you want to call it that you you can you can have stuff that is down to earth and you can have stuff that is way up in the clouds mm -hmm. And if you presented me these four stories in an anthology, I would say what they were trying to do was give you a breadth of where American writing is today. And it really does cover all the bases. And I think that, you know, going through more and more, we could probably do a hundred stories on here and uh, find unique tea, but we're not going to because there are other stories that need to be read. Um, yeah. But I really am glad we get to focus on these folks because one, I think that it's a magazine that needs a little more attention because 
it's one of those things that I think we tend to still say today that if it ain't in print, it ain't mattered. Yeah. Uh, and I find that to be annoying and sad. And two, because I just love the name because it sounds like an amusement park. <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot there that I can explore uh, in the future. And, you know, I'm sure some of them will, will pick up down the line and, and review on the show. But yeah, I've really enjoyed delving into their offerings and, and just let it be known that for the most part, pretty much, it was very much a random selection. Like we were just like, that title sounds good. Let's do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that was kind of one of our modes of selection. So so yeah, it wasn't even any, we weren't trying to pick a, a specific, you know, selection in order to illustrate anything about Joyland. It just kind of happened. And then we, we drew that, that experience from it. <laughs> yes. And I, I like that methodology because it's, it's so true. Uh, <laughs> and it works so well with our uh, leave everything to the last minute ethos. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Hey, Christy. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of leaving things to the last minute, Chris, what are we going to read next week? We're going to be reading Hugo Nominated Short Story, the first of a series that we're going to be doing. And it is starting with Badass Moms in the Zombie Apocalypse by Ray Carson. Until next week, we have been... A short story. A short podcast. <laughs> yes. Follower. <laughs> and now stop recording. Perfect. Yes. Yeah.